Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Get myself together here and keep myself from falling apart, I hope. Maybe that's too late for that. I already fell apart, I think. But... uh, (laughs) Okay, good. Um, great to be with you this morning. It is going to be a wonderful day. It already is, right, brother? I was told that already, and it's, and it's going to continue to be. After all, it is the Lord's day. And what does the Bible say? This is the day which the Lord has made. We shall right, rejoice and be glad in it. So we want to do that. Good. Uh, there are some more, I think, I'm assuming they're there. Are there some more of these up here? Okay. Some pamphlets here. If This is kind of the overall intro to the subject of spiritual gifts, so you're welcome if you don't have any of those. And um, otherwise, I'd ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12 again. 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to read that passage. And you will notice, as you're turning there, you'll notice as you get to know me, you probably already have, um, that I do tend to like to review a lot. Uh, That is by design. That's intentional. The teacher in me uh, wants to do that. And and, uh, as a preacher and teacher of the word, I want to, and I believe it's my responsibility, to uh, say what the word of God says. What does the word of God mean? Right? And then how does it apply to our lives? But there's a fourth aspect there too. And that is we review it and we drive it in so we don't forget it. I don't want, you know, it would be no, do me no good and do you no good if I stood up here and taught and um, uh, said, oh, that sounded great, that was good stuff, and then you just forgot about it, right? We, uh, we want to drive the points home. So I do tend to review a lot, um, especially gentlemen, for you, for you who use a hammer a lot, and I'm not saying the ladies can't use a hammer, uh, but to drive a nail in the wood, you usually, unless you're Superman, can't do it with one whack, right? Uh, you hit it over and over and over again. So that's why I like to review, just to explain that. But 1 Corinthians 12, let's read verses 1 through 11, I think it is. Yes, 1 through 11 again. Uh, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute or dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Just as he wills. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for that truth that you are sovereign, that you, uh, in building your church through the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, uh, you distribute gifts for the upbuilding, the strengthening, the edifying of that church, and you distribute those gifts graciously and according to your will, your plan, your design. And we just pray that you would teach us again by the Holy Spirit this morning as we learn about them and seek to understand them better. We'll give you the praise, Father, as you teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, last week we just got a running start in the study of spiritual gifts, and we want to continue with that this morning. And uh, we began last time talking about the principle of reciprocity. Remember that? The principle of reciprocity. And this has to do with the fact that because we have received certain things from God, uh, we are to give of those things to others. Because we've received, we are to give. Put simply, as receivers, we are to be givers. As receivers, we are to be givers. And I said that we're to be like the Jordan River that receives all the supply of of water from the rain and the snow and the springs of Mount Hermon. And it gives that water all along the way as it flows down to the valley below. And we're to be like the Jordan River that gives and gives and gives, not like the Dead Sea that hoards and tries to keep it all. And in so doing, it dies, right? Uh, and it, nothing can live in that in that Dead Sea because of that. And as we think about this, I'm reminded of our Lord Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10 when he sent his disciples out to minister. And in Matthew 10, 1, we read, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority or power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And then in verses 5 through 8, Matthew says, These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And then he says this, Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. That's the principle of reciprocity right there. Freely you have received, freely give. And again, when God's Holy Spirit imparts to us spiritual gifts, we're not to be reservoirs where our spirit-given gifts are all dammed up and stored and kept for ourselves, but we are to be channels where those gifts can flow out. Those spirit-given gifts can flow out. We're, we're not to be reservoirs where they're all dammed up, you know, and they're just sitting there, uh, not doing anything. Uh, but they are to flow out where they can build up others and strengthen the other members of the body of Christ. Uh, a man by the name of Niccolo Paganini. He was an Italian violinist, guitarist. Uh, composer, uh, and he was the most celebrated violin virtuoso of his time. He lived about 1782 to 1840, and he left his mark as one of the pillars of modern uh, violin technique. And when Paganini willfully, excuse me, when he willed his, finally crafted his lovingly used violin to the city of Genoa, He demanded that it never be played again. He wanted it to be preserved. It was a gift designated for preservation, but not destined for service. And I couldn't help but think what a wonderful illustration that is of what we should not do with spiritual gifts. Uh, when we think of our resurrected Lord and Savior, he willed his spiritual gifts to the children of God, to believers, and he commanded that they be used to build up his body. That was the whole point. They were gifts not designated for idle preservation, uh, nor to be hoarded and stored up in the attics of our hearts collecting dust, you know, going unused, um, but they were to be used for his service, destined for his service. Um, My prayer is that once we've gone through this study, that we will experience the reality of such active service. These are gifts not to be stored, not to be hoarded, but they are to, they're destined for active service. That's what the Lord intends. And, uh, If indeed you haven't experienced that, I pray that you would as you understand what your gift is or giftedness is, and then you exercise that giftedness for the Lord's glory.
Well, as Paul said to Timothy uh, in 2 Timothy 1.6, he said, and these, these are active words, that's why I like these verses, stir up the gift of God which is in you. Stir up the gift of God which is in you. Uh, and then Paul said in Romans twelve six, this is the New King James, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. That's active, isn't it? Let us use them. Let us exercise them, those, those spiritual gifts. And that phrase, let us use them, is in the form of a command. It's really a command. Let us use them of course, for the glory of God. So those are two great truths to remember. Stir up the gift of God, which is, in, which is in you, and then let us use them. Now, something I did not mention last Lord's Day, and I intended to, but um, sometimes I just skip over my notes and forget to say something, right? Uh, but I'm going to say it now. There are four main key passages, four Uh, we could say either key or main passages in the New Testament that deal with spiritual gifts. And uh, I think it would be great if everyone would commit these four references to memory. I don't mean all the verses in each passage. Okay, that would be great. Anybody want to try that one? Um, But I mean, memorize the four key passages, okay? Uh, They are these, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Simply think of two 12s and two 4s. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. Those are the main passages where you will find spiritual gifts uh, discussed. Uh, I did mention last Lord's Day this, that in terms of the overall direction where we're going in the study, there are 25 lessons or principles pertaining to spiritual gifts that we want to look at in the study. We've covered um, three so far. First, we looked at their importance. Spiritual gifts are vitally important. They're essential. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 3 makes that clear. And Paul makes that clear that concerning spiritual gifts or spiritual manifestations is what he literally meant. He did not want the Corinthians to be ignorant, to be unaware, to be unknowledgeable, if you will. Um, He wanted them to be knowledgeable and discerning. And when it came to both what the Holy Spirit would do in the gathering of the local assembly through spiritual gifts and what the Holy Spirit would not do, he wanted them to understand both of those things. Um, The Holy Spirit would acknowledge and exalt Jesus Christ as Lord, right? But he would not, he certainly would not uh, cause someone to say, let Jesus be accursed or let Jesus be uh, condemned to hell forever. Uh, So spiritual gifts and a proper understanding of spiritual gifts, it's extremely important. And I said it was extremely important to three entities, to the individual believer, to the church corporately, that is the body of Christ and to the world. Spiritual gifts are important to the individual believer and to the church because they affect the spiritual health, uh, the spiritual well-being of the church and of the body of Christ as a whole. Um, So that's important. But they are also, uh, we, we could put it this way, they are important because of that reason, because they affect the testimony that we as the body present to the world. Therefore, they're important to the world. Um, For remember, Jesus was here on earth. I said Jesus, in terms of his physical body, was what? Anybody remember what I said? Body one. Body one. Remember that little phrase, body one. When Jesus walked this earth, we look at him as body one, and we, the church, the body of Christ, are now what? Body two. Okay, I... Everybody say it again, just so I know you're awake and you, he was body and we are, okay, you got it, good, and you're awake now. Okay, I'm going to start over, go for, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) Uh, No, it's so important to think of it that way because uh, as we think about body two in this world, the work of body two in the world, um, I want you to think about that in terms of building a house in terms of building a house. But I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to, I'm going to even cut myself short 
And you think about that. How is the work of body two in the world like building a house? And I will tell you in a few minutes, okay? All right. We'll have a little bit longer fellowship time. All right, Lanny? Is that, is that legal? Okay. All right. Thank you. We are going to just jump back into where we left off last time uh, in terms of our, our little 15 minutes or 10 minutes before the break. And I ask you to um, think about the question, what does the work of the church in terms of body two, the work of the church in the world, have to do with building a house? So as we think about that, um, about the work of body two in this world, I want you to think about building a house, having a house built for a moment or two. How many have had that done relatively recently, the last five, ten years? Ed, got a few hands up, okay. Um, It's not always an easy task, is it, to have a house built? There's a lot of stress sometimes and a lot of things that go into that. But uh, let me use that as an illustration. When people have a house built, they will usually hire a contractor or a... um, general contractor, a man you put under contract to make sure that your house is built the way that you want it built. And uh, we can think of him as the primary contractor and as such you've delegated to him the responsibility and the authority to be the boss or the master uh, overseeing the entire project. And obviously he answers to you, the owner, you're the one spending the money on the house. And he answers to you. Uh, But when it comes to running the job day by day, hour by hour, overseeing the crews and making sure the work gets done, he's in charge, the general contractor. Um, And typically, he will not do all the work himself. He will delegate the work uh, that it be done by others. He will subcontract um, the work to others. And you know how it works. Um, And he will find those who... Uh, Even though he may, and I've known contractors who maybe help frame the house in the beginning, uh, but he will find people with certain abilities, unique abilities in specific areas. He'll hire people, maybe they'll do the excavating, they'll dig the basement or dig the footers for the foundation and if you have a basement, put the basement in. They'll work on the cement work, hire people for the pouring of the footings, the cement walls, Uh, the floors. They'll hire other people who do nothing but framing, constructing the the walls and the roof. I used to do all this in my younger days and so know a little bit about it. Um, And he'll hire people uh, with specialties in plumbing, electrical, drywall, uh, doing the heating, the cooling, the painting, the masonry work. You know how it works. Subcontractors. Um, And get all those people who are experts in those various building trades and uh, no wonder houses cost so much right (laughs) i mean it's amazing what they cost today but all the things that these guys are doing um, cost a lot of money and even though they're different people who are gifted in many different areas they're all striving for one single goal and that is to build the house uh, in accord with what the master or primary contractor um wants. And he's, of course, doing what the owner wants. Um, But you usually have that general contractor that's overseeing the whole thing. Well, if you think about it by way of illustration, our Lord Jesus is the ultimate general contractor. If you can just let me use that for a moment as as a metaphor. Uh, He is also the master designer. He's the master builder of his church. He designed it, he builds it. He's the head of the church and he oversees it as the the uh, the Lord of all, of course. In Matthew, you know it well, 16, 18, he said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not overpower it or prevail against it. But interestingly, and I don't know if we always think about it this way, he has chosen not to do all the work himself. In fact, he left this earth as body one, and left behind body two, us, to continue on 
with the work. He instead, if you will, subcontracts much of the work to others, namely to the members of the body of Christ. And uh, this fact is confirmed by Paul. We read it earlier. Um, here's that repetition again. First Corinthians 3, 9 to 11. For we, actually, we didn't read this. We read First Corinthians 1, right? Uh, this is First Corinthians. Let me get the right reference here. 3, 9 to 11. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Essentially, our Lord has made us subcontractors, if you will. It says right here in 1 Corinthians 3, we are God's fellow workers, co-workers with Christ. It's an amazing privilege. I heard one speaker one time many years ago say, uh, make the statement in, in reference to this passage that the Lord has given us the dignity of causality, simply meaning we are participants in the project, workers alongside of him. And essentially, our Lord has made us subcontractors, fellow workers in the building of his church. And as such, by his Holy Spirit, he has imparted to each of us, all of us, spiritual abilities spiritual abilities and skills that we need to do the work of building, building his church. What an amazing uh, truth this is, an amazing privilege it is. Uh, the Holy Spirit has enabled us to do that. To do that. But the totally unique thing uh, about this is that we have been gifted to build a building or a temple of which we are a part. Have you thought about that? We have been gifted to work alongside our Lord Jesus, to build a building or a temple of which we are a part. Uh, second, first Peter 2.5 says, You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. First Peter 2.5 This is... Yet another important reason uh, why spiritual gifts are so vitally important. It's because we are involved in the most important building project in the world. Yea, I would even say in the entire universe, the building of the church of Jesus Christ. It's really an amazing truth. Uh, That building project is so colossal, so magnificent, Uh, And God, by his magnificent grace, has allowed us to be participants in the project with him. Co-workers. Yeah, our Lord Jesus said, I will build my church. But by God's grace and his mercy, you and I have been made his fellow workers, God's co-workers, privileged participants in that building. Paul says in verse 1, we're back to now 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant. Why? Because they're so important. They're so important in terms of this building project. That's why 1 Corinthians 3 is such a wonderful chapter. And Paul uses that metaphor as a wise master builder, a sophos architecturon, a sophisticated architect. I laid a foundation and yet another is building upon it. Who's the other? you and I. We're the ones building upon it. Other believers building upon that foundation. And there's only one foundation, as he says, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, So these are very important. He doesn't want the Corinthians to be ignorant or unaware. Um, And the verse literally says, as I pointed out last time, concerning spirituals, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Gifts is not, I think I said last week, spiritual gifts is not in the original, but spirituals, meaning spiritual manifestations, manifestations of the spirit, or in this case with the Corinthians sometimes of spirits, um, 
because last time we saw that the Corinthians had difficulty distinguishing, discerning uh, between what was of God, the Holy Spirit, and what was coming from evil spirits. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2. Understanding where the Corinthians had come from with regard to their pagan religions and their cultural background, Paul was in essence saying, now concerning spiritual manifestations, both good and bad, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. In other words, Paul wanted the Corinthians to have a good and proper understanding of spiritual manifestations. And that included how the Holy Spirit gives and distributes the gifts. That's why he says, one of the reasons he says in 1 Corinthians 12, he distributes them just as he wills. It's according to his will. And it included also how he operates and manifests himself, that is God the Holy Spirit, through spiritual gifts and how they should be used and exercised in the church. And you get into chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians and chapter 14, and Paul is very clear and firm about how the gifts are to be exercised in in the local church. Uh, Yet another, this then is another important reason why understanding spiritual gifts is so important. The reason is that we might avoid ignorance and confusion about the topic. He wanted them to avoid ignorance and confusion. Uh, Besides their importance, well, that's obvious. We want to be in that situation, don't we? To avoid ignorance about spiritual gifts. We want to avoid the confusion that can come if they're abused, if uh, some claim that they've got certain gifts and those gifts maybe don't even exist. Uh, We want to avoid all of that. And Paul certainly wanted the Corinthians to avoid this confusion. But we want to go on to the next point because it's related. These really overlap. Second principle to look at, their source. We want to look at their source. Spiritual grace gifts are given by God. And this would be on your notes, I think. Given by God, the Holy Spirit to believers when they are born again and baptized or immersed into the body of Christ. And I've given you the references for those statements. Uh, I want you to notice the number of times. I'm going to read this one more time, at least this section Uh, Notice the number of times the word spirit, meaning Holy Spirit, occurs or is used in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. Notice, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit, for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit and to another, the effecting of miracles and to another prophecy and to another, the distinguishing of spirits to another various kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, works all these things, distributing to each one, meaning each believer, just as he wills. Now, I count the word Spirit there seven times if I count right. If my car accident hasn't affected my counting or if I'm getting it right, okay? I think it's seven times in that passage. Um, This is God, the Holy Spirit, also referred to in the Bible, very important passage in the Bible, Romans 8, 9, as the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit are one and the same Spirit, okay? Um, And he is definitely the source of spiritual gifts. Um, But we want to move on to another point. And by the way, in terms of all those gifts we read about just now in in 12, 4 to 11, we're going to be coming back to those. We're going to be in, in the course of the study, God willing, defining each gift. And we'll, we'll look at each one in detail. Um, but I want to mention the third point we, we, gave, we gave last week. They're counterfeiting. Spiritual gifts can be counterfeited. And I reminded you that Satan is the master counterfeiter. 
Uh, and of course, Satan will seek to counterfeit God's good gifts in order to detract from God's truth and from God's glory. He does that. He did that back then, 2,000 years ago. He does it today. Uh, and such counterfeits would include the gifts of, of tongues or languages, healing, teaching, prophecy, uh, and on and on. He will counterfeit the various gifts. And Satan would seek not only to counterfeit or imitate the true gifts, but he sometimes even replaces them uh, with things that supposedly look like spiritual gifts or that are claimed to be spiritual gifts. Strange and weird things like, I don't know if you've heard of these things or not, divine laughing or spirit-produced barking like a dog. If any of you are familiar with the years ago, the Toronto Blessing, which was more aptly named the Toronto Curse, I think, um, but that these people got were totally out of control. You can look it up on YouTube and see terrible videos of this, of people barking like dogs and laughing uncontrollably, supposedly produced by the Spirit of God. Um, but Satan sometimes replaces spiritual gifts with weird things like that. Uh, whatever counterfeit Satan may use, the goal is to produce confusion in Christ's church and to disrupt the proper working and unity of the body of Christ. And that certainly has occurred today. Uh, to disrupt, to try and destroy the unity of the body of Christ um, with those sorts of things. And that in turn undermines and it corrupts the worship and the work of body too, right? It, it certainly does that. Now, by, by way of review, again, I would mention again that we know that spiritual gifts uh, not only can be counterfeited, um, but in a number of different ways and for a number of different reasons. And this is possible. Uh, I mentioned this last time. If there is spiritism or occultism in a Christian's background, that was the case with the Corinthians. The Corinth was a hotbed of false religions, what they called mystery religions. They were energized by demonic forces. They were characterized by many immoral practices, uh, just terrible things uh, to Corinthiae, Corinthianize. I think that was the word I was trying to come up with. Anyhow, uh, to act like the people of Corinth was, a, was to be terribly immoral. That was the idea. Um, and the problem was that because the Holy Spirit had brought about so many miracles in the early days of the church and the apostles, some, Corinthians, Christ, some Corinthian Christians confused those true wonders with false wonders, the false wonders of their past pagan religion. Um, and so they misidentified things. Uh, you know, in their past pagan religion, people would go out of their minds, out of control, supposed ecstasy, saying things that they didn't know what they were saying, mystery languages, all kinds of weird things. And when Satan began counterfeiting true gifts in the church, sometimes the Corinthians didn't know the difference because they're thinking back to their past pagan religions and what they experienced prior to being saved. Uh, so there was a problem that way. Um, you have the misidentification of gifts, the counterfeiting of gifts. And one of the reasons it occurred is not only because of the past religion, but because of, or I could say it will happen if there is a lack of spirituality and spiritual maturity in the assembly. And there certainly was at Corinth. Uh, a lack of spirituality. Let's define that real quick. And God willing, on Wednesday nights, I'd like to do a little study on, on what it means to be filled with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. Um, but what is spiritual, spirituality or a lack of spirituality? In this case, their lives were not characterized by walking in the power and will of the Holy Spirit. That's a lack of spirituality. True spirituality is when you walk in the power and the will of the Holy Spirit. You yield to the Holy Spirit within you. You are filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. You walk by the Spirit, and then you don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. There was a lack of spirituality at Corinth. That's why they had all their divisions and their problems. 
um, and that sort of thing. Uh, they had divisions. They acted, what does Paul say? They acted like what? Baby Christians, right? I can't write to you as spiritually mature. I have to write to you as carnal, baby Christians because of your your divisions. And uh, they, they were choosing up favorite preachers and favorite apostles and, and all of that. Uh, but this counterfeiting can also occur if there is a lack, and these, this goes hand in hand with the lack of spirituality, if there's a lack of teaching and adequate biblical information regarding the things of the spirit or ignorance or a lack of knowledge of, of truths concerning the spirit and spiritual gifts. And Satan had made these kinds of inroads into the Corinthian church and therefore Paul needed to write to them and instruct them. Um, he made those inroads through false manifestations of the spirit, which I've already kind of described. But in the, and Paul addresses it here in in chapter 12, in all of the uh, chaos and confusion of things, even with some Corinthian Christian, or with a group in the assembly trying to exercise their gifts all at the same time out of order. Can you remember, can you imagine uh, can you imagine everybody getting up at the same time during the breaking of bread and trying to put something forth and everybody talking at once? Total chaos. Well, that's what was going on then. And during all of that chaos, someone would shout out, let Jesus be accursed. Let, literally, let Jesus be damned. Damned, condemned to hell forever. Now, that's not pleasant to our ears. It's not pleasant to my ears even to say that. But that is exactly what they were doing, Paul says. That's exactly what was going on. These false manifestations of the Spirit. Satan attacked that way. Uh, But he also attacked the Corinthian assembly by dividing the believers through the selfish, prideful, fleshly use of the gifts. And Paul had to address that later in, in 1 Corinthians Some of the Corinthian believers would use certain gifts to impress people or to even claim that they were superior because they had certain gifts that other people didn't have, making other people feel inferior, I guess. And uh, that, that went on too. In fact, according to chapter 14, it got so bad, as I said before, they were getting up and some were exercising their gifts of tongues and teaching and prophecy all at the same time. And Paul had to correct that in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. You can't get up and try and outdo one another with your spiritual gifts, you know. Um, and why was that, by the way? It was because there was an obvious lack of love in the assembly. And that's why he had to write chapter 13, Right? You exercise these gifts according to love. And he had gave a whole chapter about that. And uh, we, we won't deal with that at the moment, but you know the chapter well. Um, so with that little bit of background in mind, let's look at spiritual gifts in terms of their definition. And we'll just get started on this. Spiritual gifts are God-given abilities for service through which the Holy Spirit ministers to the members of the body of Christ. Okay, that's a defining statement. On your outline, on your handout, I've I've said it two or three different ways, just for emphasis and just to make it clearer, hopefully. Uh, first of all, letter A, a spiritual gift is a channel through which the Holy Spirit ministers to the needs of the body of Christ. That's a very simple definition. A channel is the key word. Letter B, the charismata from charisma which means a gift of grace, are grace gifts that all Christians receive from God for the purpose of serving and building up the body of Christ. Very similar statement, but just put a little different way. And then thirdly, spiritual gifts are special gifts bestowed by the Holy Spirit upon Christians for the purpose of building up the church. And that's from Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. So the New Testament Greek word most often translated spiritual gifts is this word charismata, charismata. And the root of the word is charis, which is the Greek word for grace, referring to something that is received, though not deserved, not earned. You can't do something on your own. 
Uh, it's nothing that you do to obtain it. It is given to you as a gift, freely as a gift. And so spiritual gifts are grace gifts or grace endowments that Christians receive, every Christian, no exceptions, receive from God's spirit in the form of skills and abilities. And through those skills and abilities that are given by the spirit, God desires to channel his energy and his power as a means of strengthening the body, building up the body, bringing glory to his name. That's the definition of spiritual gifts, a detailed one, I guess. Uh, But it leads us to a fifth principle, their recipients. And we've already really alluded to it, their recipients. Spiritual gifts are given only to certain people. Your unsaved neighbor has no spiritual gifts, okay? Um, First of all, spiritual gifts are given to believers in Jesus Christ only. And it's clear, uh, that is clear from the way Paul begins his letter to the Corinthians, that he's addressing believers only. He's addressing saved people. And I'm going to let you look up those verses that uh, some of them I've got listed. Uh, But I would mention back again, Romans 8, 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, He does not belong to you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you are not a Christian. You are not born again because you can only be born again of the the Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you are born again by the power of the Spirit and you become that new creature in Christ, the Spirit not only comes to indwell you, but he imparts the spiritual gifts that God wants you to to have, again, according to his own will. Uh, So we know that spiritual gifts are given only to believers in Christ, but also, secondly, to every believer in Jesus Christ. Every believer. And I can't emphasize this enough. No exceptions. We don't want any believers here going around thinking, well, boy, that person has a ton of gifts, and this guy has quite a few, and this woman has a lot, and I have zilch, you know, zero. That's not true. That is not true. Every believer has been gifted by the Holy Spirit. Now, God, by his sovereignty, does it according to his will. It may seem like uh, one person has a whole ton of them while another person only has a couple. Uh, That's all up to the Lord, you know, and how he he imparts those gifts. But let me... um, let me prove this to you. First of all, in writing to the believers in Romans 12, 6, Paul says that we have gifts that differ, that differ according to the grace given to us. And he's talking about believers, right? Uh, as Peter writes to a broad spectrum of believers in 1 Peter 4, 10, he says, as each one has received a special gift. Now, I'm not going to tell you right now, but you think about that. Maybe you go home and study that verse. We'll deal with it in the next message, I think. Uh, Why does he say that in the singular? Because each one has received a special gift, singular. You can think about that one, and I'll I'll deal with it later on. Uh, Employ it, he says, in serving one another. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. So every believer has received a charisma, a grace gift. Therefore, now hold on to your seats. Technically speaking, every believer is a charismatic, lowercase c. Lanny, you're going to get all kinds of phone calls this week, brother. That guy from Michigan is telling us we're all charismatics. You are. If you're a born-again believer, you are a charismatic Shocking, but nonetheless true. Now, when you think of a charismatic, you might think of various people rolling down the aisles, smacking them on the forehead, healing them, falling to the ground, slain in the spirit, speaking in tongues, all kinds of stuff. You know, that is not what I'm talking about. None of that. Every believer in Christ is a charismatic in the sense that every believer has received the glorious gifting, grace gifting of the Spirit 
of God so that he or she may be able to minister to the body of Christ and build up the body. So whether you like the term or not, you are a charismatic, okay? But in that sense only, uh, just so you understand. And then um, I would say, therefore, it's also true that every believer is a minister. Maybe you didn't know that, that you were a minister, but you are, okay? Why is that? Why, why do you say that, Mike? Um, well, I don't mean a guy, first of all, in a black robe and a white collar, I'm not talking about that kind of person who likes to be called reverend or the most reverend or or whatever. Uh, Prior to coming into the New Testament assemblies and fellowshipping, which is 22 years ago now, I guess, uh, I was a traditional pastor, okay, of Bible-believing churches, I assure you. Uh, I was in the pastorate, and uh, when I would go to a church, people would ask me what I wanted to be called. Do you want to be called pastor? Do you want to be called reverend? And, and I, would, I would in jest say, well, actually, uh, the most holy reverend father would be nice. But <laughs> I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it ever. In fact, I was never ordained in the traditional sense because I didn't see that in scripture. Um, but we are ministers with a small m, if I can, if I can say it that way. Uh, what do I mean by this? It's because the purpose of spiritual gifts is to enable Christians to, with their gifts, serve and minister to the needs of the body of Christ. Listen, you you know this verse well, Ephesians 4.12, says that certain gifted men were given to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, or in the King James, it says, for the work of the what? Ministry. You're a minister. That's what this term minister in the Bible simply means servant. That's all it means. Or ministry means you're giving service. They were given uh, for the work of the service or the ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. And when I was growing up, I always thought a minister was a guy with a a long black robe, white collar, 40-pound Bible under his arm, and had a Charlton Heston-like voice who said, let my people go, or whatever, you know, right? Um, that, that's not what we're talking about here at all. Uh, I've come to learn that the words minister and ministry in the Bible, again, simply mean to serve and or service. Uh, every Christian is a minister or a servant, one who serves others' needs, specifically the needs of the body of Christ. So how many ministers do you have in your assembly? Well, if you've got 30 people in your assembly and they're all saved, we'll assume that, then you've got how many ministers? 30, right? If you've got 40, you've got, you've got 50, you've got, I think you got the concept. Okay, good. Um, If you've got 2,000, you've got 2,000. The point, the question is, how many are active ministers? How many are actively serving? How many are actively exercising their spiritual gifts? And I would encourage you uh, to be sure that you are actively fulfilling your role as a gifted servant, as a gifted minister of Jesus Christ. So important. We don't, again, want to be like the Dead Sea. We don't want to be like Paganini's violin where we're just put on the shelf uh, for preservation and, oh, it's nice to look at. We want to be active ministers. Can I hear an hearty amen? Okay, good, good. All right, let me review very quickly. I still can't, I got to write it down here. I never know. But anyhow, I'm going to review very quickly. Principle number one we've covered. Number one, their importance. Spiritual gifts are vitally important, Right? Uh, and essential to the individual believer, to the church, the body of Christ, and to the world. Principle number two deals with their source. Spiritual grace gifts are given by God, the Holy Spirit, to believers when they're born again, when they're baptized into the body, when they are immersed into the body of Christ. And remember, please remember 1 Corinthians 12, 11, that he, they are given just as he wills. If you say, man, I'm stuck with a gift of whatever gift you think you don't like, (laughs) you know, 
Now, God has given you the gifts so that you'll develop that gift or gifts and use them for his glory and and he will glorify himself. You know, people tell me that I have the gift of teaching and have told the body of Christ has told me that for many years. For many years, it, it took a long time for me to, you know, be convinced of it. Um, it does take sometimes the other members of the body of Christ telling you that. But when they tell you that, and it's confirmed by two or three or more witnesses, then accept it and say, praise God and thank you, Lord, right? That you've gifted me in whatever way you've gifted me. So they're given by God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, principle three had to do with their counterfeiting. Spiritual gifts can be counterfeited. Number four, we talked about their definition very simply, there are God-given abilities for service through which the Holy Spirit ministers to the members of the body of Christ. And number five speaks of their recipients. Spiritual gifts are given only to certain people, to believers in Christ only, to every believer in Christ. And therefore, every believer is a charismatic and every believer is a minister, okay? And finally, uh, we will say, Lord willing, next time we'll talk about their terminology uh, and more, uh, what they're called as well as their goals, their purposes, their benefits. And uh, I I think the most exciting part of the study is to come. You've really gotten a two-part introduction here these last two weeks just to lay the foundation and lay the groundwork, okay? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for loving us, for gifting us, first of all, with the gift of eternal life and salvation, which I trust, Lord, that every person here would possess. I would pray that every person here would know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that they will have believed, that they've already believed on him and and repented of their sins and trusted in Christ and his finished work on the cross alone for their salvation, that he died for them and paid for their sins as their substitute, that he was buried, that he rose again from the dead on the third day. He ascended into heaven, and Lord, we believe he's coming back soon. But Lord, I just pray that every person here would know the Savior and love him and know the joy and the peace and the... uh, the wonderful nature of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Thank you for that, Father. And uh, we just pray that you would guide us as we enjoy these wonderful gifts. Um, We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. They belong to us, and we praise you for your grace. Just guide us as we would depart from here. Give everyone a good week in the Lord, and we will give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.